welcome to the conversation about BL, aka the Brown Liquor Podcast. And there it is. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. We're your drunk Caribbean uncle and auntie who are sitting on the porch in the rocking chairs. Four times a year, we pop in to talk about what's going on in the BL world. We shoot the shit about stories, all the drama going into them. I review from a queer media lens. And I review from a romance and drama lens. So if you like cracked out takes and really intense emotional analysis. If you like talking about artistry, industry, and the discourse. And if you generally just love simping. There is a lot of simping on this podcast. We are the show for you. And we're back. It's been a long season, probably our longest season, but we are finally here at the Winter Lanyap. Here's all of the extra that we could not fit into the neat formatting of the rest of the season. I'm so happy that you call the formatting neat. It makes me feel all glowy inside, you know, as a tyrant perfectionist that I keep trying to be. (laughs) Every day I have to restrain myself from rearranging things. On your very, very organized spreadsheet. (laughs) We can have a spreadsheet conversation after the season is over. So Ben and I are here and we are here with guests. Well, I can't call these people guests now. At this point, they are family. Welcome to our transcription team, Ginny and Shan. Hello. Hey there. We're in a celebratory and festive mood, so we wanted to get together and just break down the year, answer some listener questions that came in, and just have a great time, round up the year, look forward to next year, and then we'll be out. First order of business before we get to the questions. I hope you all enjoyed the holiday clip show, because they ate my ass up on that (laughs) damn show. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, bestie. When I was sent the final audio, and I'm listening to it pre-transcript, and you called me evangelical about what did you eat yesterday, I screamed in my house. (laughs) Oh, I knew I was going to be in trouble for that. It came out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to hear about that one. I think the clips backed you up, (laughs) Jenny. I found it personally delightful, and I quite enjoyed editing that. I was like, (laughs) Ben's going to really get a kick out of this. All right. That out of the way, Shan, please take us into the first question. All right. My pleasure. So, friend of the podcast, Sorry Bone Bag, writes... How do you each decide which takes or responses to shows should go on Tumblr as the shows are airing and which should wait for the podcast? Or are the Tumblr and podcast audiences different enough that you don't really worry about reputation? Nini, you've been a little bit reclusive on Tumblr lately. Do you think about not sharing things for the podcast? No. Even when I wrote a lot on Tumblr, I wrote on an episodic basis and the podcast is deliberately about taking the long view on things so at least when i was writing a lot it just didn't occur to me to 
hold stuff back other than at the very beginning when you and I were not talking to each other between seasons and all of that when we were still trying to figure out how this was going to work but since then I don't feel like there's overlap between anything that I write on Tumblr and what we talk about on the show Ben how about you yeah I'm with Nini the listening audience and the Tumblr audience overlap heavily So the people who are listening to us are likely our friends and mutuals and other folks who hang out with us in BL space on Tumblr. And I don't feel like there's anything wrong with me sharing my thoughts in real time on Tumblr via the straight thoughts thing and then discussing the show as a project after the fact, because like Nini says, we reflect. So it's probably more fun because it sort of completes the arc for the people who follow us closely because you've watched me half shit post about a show for eight to 12 weeks and then a couple months later you'll hear us unpacking the whole journey of it i like the fact that you guys if you follow us closely can see our thoughts in real time and see if there's a shift from what i was writing week to week or in the final verdict Versus how I feel about it once we start talking about it. Bombay had a second part of her question. I have noticed that sometimes the Tumblr conversations about shows seem to center around specific elements, i.e. the soulmate lore for La Pluie, toxicity and shipping for only friends, etc. And sometimes it can feel like people get wrapped up in a conversation about one thing while there's something shiny off in a corner that goes under-investigated. Has this been true of your experiences? And if yes, what are some aspects of shows that you feel have been underdiscussed, either in specific shows or broadly as themes across shows? Then you go first this time. Do I think Tumblr gets distracted by <laughs> the wrong shit in shows? Every goddamn day. Oh my God. The thing about fandom is it's really hard to predict what people are going to get over-invested in with any particular show. The difficulty with writing in a space like this, if you are trying to stir up discourse or meta, you have to write precisely about whatever topic you care about. I agree that people get distracted by the wrong stuff, but I also think it's fair sometimes for people to get caught up in the social politics around the show instead of the show itself, particularly when you're very online. Nini? I can't say that I'm unaffected by the discourse. That wouldn't be truthful because you can't be unaffected by the discourse. I mean, the whole point of us having these conversations, our whole show is basically discourse. So I can't say that I am unaffected by the discourse. And sometimes I don't get like, oh my God, why are you focusing on this? We should be focusing on that. But I also try to think about it in terms of, well, what is it saying that this is what people are focusing on? What is it saying about how the show is done and constructed? What is it saying about fandom? What is it saying about the audience? What is it saying about this type of show or this type of story that this is where people's minds are going in terms of the discourse? If I want to discuss something else, I'll put it out into the ether and see what comes back. A lot of the time it's wildly ignored, but to me, I still put it out there. And that's where I kind of land on the whole thing. I can't say necessarily people are discussing the quote unquote wrong thing if I sit and think about it, because they're focusing on what is important to them in 
digesting and reading the story. And for everybody, that's going to be different for whatever reasons that it's different. But for me, I try to take it as an opportunity to understand or to get sort of a deeper insight into both the stories themselves and into the people who are taking in the stories. I actually would love to get Janine Chan's takes on this particular part of the question as well. I think one of the points that you just made, Nini, is really important. And I think about this a lot when I'm trying to kind of parse fandom discourse. And it's that people really come to these shows for different reasons and they discuss them for different reasons, right? So like oftentimes when we have disconnects in the discourse or like people start to get maybe unhappy with the way some people are talking about a show that they're watching. I feel like it's normally rooted in folks coming to the shows and discussing the shows from different angles. So like I'm somebody who is really interested in narrative storytelling as an art. And I like to really think about what makes a good story. And I like to really dissect shows that I think are working really well and shows that I think are maybe not working so well. And I do that kind of intellectually. Not to say that I never get very emotionally attached to shows. I definitely do. But often I'm kind of taking a step back and trying to think about how the story is working. And for people who are watching shows more for the emotional reaction that they're having, that can sometimes feel off because they're thinking about it in such a different way that seeing me talk about it that way feels jarring to them. And so I always try to think about that, you know, when there are things going on in the discourse that I don't connect to, there are people that are probably just trying to look at the show from the angle that they have. This is coming up, I think, right now in the Playboy discourse. That's such an interesting show to think about and dissect, and it's doing so many different things. And it's really clear that the BL audience is all over the place in terms of which parts of that show we're connecting to and interested in. And so the discourse around it is a little messy. Some people are just watching the show so differently that it can be hard to bridge that gap in conversation. But I also think that that kind of diversity of perspective and those different ways of processing the shows that we're watching makes the conversation more interesting. My line there is always, we don't have to be coming at this from the same angle and we don't have to agree on everything we think, but we do need to give each other the space to watch the show in the way that we're watching it. Yeah, that's, I think, similar to how I think about it. There are a ton of people who are watching and discussing shows who are clearly just engaging on a very different level or from a very different angle than I am. And I sort of don't pay any attention to those. I live a lot of my life by the Keanu Reeves, you know, I'm too old to care about people being wrong. (laughs) You say two plus two equals five. Great. Have fun. (laughs) So I get into that frame of mind with a lot of things. The conversations that I get really into are when I feel like someone is operating kind of from the same framework, but is seeing something differently than I see it. And that's when I get really excited about conversation. But the people who are just processing on a totally different wavelength, I'm like, great, I'm glad you're having a good time over there. We don't need to talk. (laughs) I like that. To answer the last part of Bonebag's question, I was thinking about that part a little bit. Things I think are under-discussed in fandom spaces, in general for me, it's probably masculinity and masculine identity. But a lot of the audience watching, especially on Tumblr, seems to be femme. So I don't get surprised that those things end up 
under discussed because that's not necessarily how most of the audience engaging on Tumblr was socialized. Part of why I started writing in the first place, because I'm like, there are not enough boys talking about this. (laughs) I'll write about it. Like that used to bother me, but I don't get annoyed with people about where they sit. Now, for my You're My Sky propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) Our next question is from Tumblr user CTL Yuejie. They write, I've seen Ben really enjoy the Japanese series this year and wanted to ask if it is more the stylistic choices or the stories told this year, which drew you in, generally speaking, over the Thai shows. That is an old friend from the history to crossing the line era, starting shit. And I love her for it. I was doing some math on the year and I rated 16, now 17 shows from Japan this year which means that of the 48, now 49 shows that I have engaged with from Japan that I tracked on MDL, a third of them came out this year. Japan is very much back in the VL game. It's probably style that brings me back to Japan more often than not. I think there's a melancholy to Japanese storytelling that I connect to. And I really like how incisive their work can be. I have lamented that sometimes I think the Thai productions are too long and their editors are not as sharp. And so I think sometimes their shows meander because they're not always certain where they want to go. But all the Japanese shows that I enjoy generally know what they are about, what they want to say, and how to express that through the characters and their behaviors in their stories. And so if a Japanese story is about something, I can engage very clearly with what it wants to talk about. And like, we can have a more extensive discussion about whether or not I wanted to talk about that or (laughs) whether or not they did a great job talking about it. But the show itself is thematically accessible for me in a way that I find very easy to engage with. And because the shows tend to be shorter, you can have that conversation with people, I think, more easily than you can when you're reacting to a 12-episode, almost hour-long show. I feel like because Japan doesn't rely heavily on side couples and B-plots in their stories, they're so focused that it's hard to get distracted in the conversation about something else the show was doing because everything is usually pretty wrapped up in the main through line. Nini, this has probably been the most you've had to engage with Japanese media in your life. How are you feeling after the last year? It's the thing about French film, right? I am not a lover of French film, and there's a lot of aspects of Japanese filming tradition, not similar but analogous to French film. So it's not that I've resisted, but I've not always found it to be to my taste. But when I have engaged with Japanese productions in the past, depending on the production, there are specific things that I've liked. So coming this year into Ben's world of Japanese BL and 
getting more deeply into the rhythms of certain things about Japanese storytelling, certain things about Japanese filmmaking, certain things about Japanese culture and character building. It's been an interesting journey and I have found things to enjoy. I've also found things that frustrate me, like the communication piece is a huge piece for me. I know it's cultural, but one of the things that has been very clear to me about what I've watched this year is that I enjoy the shows where either the communication is less Japanese, I guess, in the sense of that there is a more open communication like in I Cannot Reach You, or where the miscommunication has a certain point and storytelling aspect to it, like in My Personal Weatherman, where they are communicating, but they're still misunderstanding each other, not because of the things that they're not saying, but because of their feelings about themselves. So that I find intriguing. That all said, this year, I've probably enjoyed more Japanese BL on a proportional basis, given how much I watched. <laughs> Going into this year. Like, oh yeah, I guess I got to watch Japanese BL with Ben this year. How many could they possibly make? Like four? 17 shows later. <laughs> they went for it this year. <laughs> Since we have both of you here and there's been so much Japanese BL this year, Shannon, Jenny, you have any thoughts on what draws you into Japan specifically, considering we have nine BL producing countries now? I said sometime earlier, this is the year I fell in love with Japanese BL. At the beginning of this year, I was like, yeah, I'm not that interested in anything coming out of Japan. Because what I had seen was mostly in the comic vein, which is not my easiest place to engage with media. Comedy is sometimes a lift for me. And honestly, the stylistic haircuts that they still have a lot of were a hard hurdle for me to get over. But that I think End of the World with You really pulled me in and is still one of my favorite things that we got this year. And some of the drama shower productions, Ben talked about the melancholy, which I love. And I started to see even in the comic shows, the layers they're putting in. There's so much isolation and repression in so much Japanese BL that I find really compelling in stories, especially in a romance story. So yeah, I started this year like, eh, Japan's not my favorite and came out of it like, maybe it is, or it's definitely up there. I love that journey for you, Ginny. I'm so happy. It's really made my heart warm this year to see you get into JBL. Ben and I are the resident JBL stands. So I'm always kind of side by side with him whenever a new one comes out and geeking out over it. It comes back to kind of what I said earlier about the way I like to engage with shows and how I like to watch them. There is rarely a Japanese BL production that does not have a tight narrative structure, a clear vision for what they're trying to say, and really high level execution on its themes, on its character work, on just the way the whole story comes together. I find them so satisfying as a viewing experience because even the weakest JBLs where all those things aren't quite in tune are still really strong. And you still kind of come away feeling like you understand what it was trying to communicate and why. And one of my biggest frustrations as a viewer is when I walk away from a show feeling like that aspect is muddled. Like I don't know what a show was trying to say or what its intent was. And so I'm always here for JBL. 
I think like Jenny, I do tend to be more personally pulled toward the darker lane of Japanese work where they kind of get into some deeper dynamics, sometimes some social stuff, some psychosexual stuff, just kind of darker aspects of things. But I also really appreciate the light comedy lane that they can do as well because they do it so effectively. It really takes a lot of technical precision to do those kinds of shows well. So yeah, I'm always here for JBL. I will watch all of them, every single one that comes out. And I was really excited that we got such a good year for it. Second question from CTL Yejet was, speaking of good Japanese shows, what did you eat yesterday? Are there any themes or topics focusing on 30 to 40 plus year old characters that you'd like to see interpreted in 2024? This is the difficulty with more BL variety, particularly when you're dealing with older characters. Like we can get away with Kenji and Shiro because... They are a slice of life show and their relationship is deepening as we watch them. And that can be really engaging. But people come to BL because they like watching very pretty people look at each other and then decide to run off into the sunset together. And then we hit them with our freeze ray and then put them on a shelf and catalog them as yet another couple we watched. And that's just the romance genre in general. I don't know that the audience that is here for romance is going to be interested in gay life drama. Off tried that this year in Thailand with Moonlight Chicken, but he was clever about it because there's like a little tiny teenage PL plot in there for the girlies. I don't know what I'd like to see from Japan in this regard. I kind of want to see more stories about People meeting by happenstance, not necessarily through their work, and then maybe getting together. But I'm not really certain what kind of found family, community-oriented show I want that also has a very strong romantic core to it, I think would sell. Like I'm trying to envision a concept that would successfully sell. The last thing I got that was really fresh that I enjoyed was Koisanu Futari, because even though like they're not romantically engaged with each other, it was really nice seeing two people find someone who understood them. So I'm not really certain. I kind of want to see them tackle parenthood, but that's a whole different type of genre separate from romance in a lot of ways. I kind of want the Japanese BL answer to the Fosters. What do them lesbians raising all them kids look like from a Japanese perspective? I think that's all I got. I'm surprised at you, actually, Ben, because one of the things that we also talked about this year was that we finally got real friends to lovers this year. And I would love to see older friends to lovers because there's a different dynamic there when you're past a certain age and you've had experiences in life, and you have a friend who's been by your side through that all, and then something shifts there. And that's something that we haven't seen as yet that I would really enjoy seeing. Sign me up for that one. 
there's just something about that idea that's like starting to percolate in my brain. Because before all of that, I would have said, well, I want to see like a 40-year-old virgin type story. But then we got Cherry Magic, which is basically a 40-year-old virgin type story. And I couldn't think of anything really specific. But then the end of the year threw up some friends to lovers, some true friends to lovers stuff. And I started thinking about it just like, what would that look like with older people? I would also love to see more of what we did get a taste of in Moonlight Chicken of people who have had one relationship that was a fully developed, lived-in relationship and lost that for whatever reason, finding a second great love. One of my peeves in romance is always this idea that your first and only is the goal. And as a person in my 40s myself who did not meet my partner until I was nearly 40, would love to see more stories about people finding a great love later in their life and after one that they had and lost. I love that. I just want more stories about older characters in general. I get so excited when we get BLs about characters that are 30 or older. Honestly, it just makes my heart sing. I'm a little burnt out on all of the school age romances, even though I do tend to love them still. I just want a little more variety. I want to see some adults in the genre. So I'm really hoping that we'll get more of that. Soichi writes, I am curious to hear your thoughts on this wave of adaptations we're seeing, like Cherry Magic Thailand, Kieta Hatsukoi, Why Are You? Seeing how all these rely heavily on each country's particular style, it would seem that many aspects would be lost in translation, although some could be gained. Do you see these shows as a chance to explore the same main ideas from a different angle or as a very big chance for misunderstanding them? And do you think we're going to see more of them? Why are you Korea? <laughs> Maybe not the, the most generous. <laughs> I swear, why are you Korea is Ben's villain origin story on this show. It just keeps coming up all year between me and him. He wishes it's a thing that never happened, I think. <laughs> we were already planning to talk about this in the spring. So just a little preview for the spring, we are planning to discuss Cherry Magic Thailand. But in terms of like initial thoughts, I'm generally all for cross-cultural adaptations. I like the idea of taking the bones of a story and transferring it to a different culture, a different set of filmmaking and storytelling traditions, trying to make a base story work because that's all stories are. Like there are only seven, what is it? Seven basic stories. There are only seven basic stories. Every story is basically an adaptation of the seven basic stories. And how you adapt that story is where the interest lies. So for me, like a cross-cultural adaptation is just another version of that. What I don't like is when they make a cross-cultural adaptation that is just a straight remake of the story without injecting anything of the new creators or the new culture or the new whatever into it. That's what I don't like. Don't remake a story that somebody else has already made exactly in the way that they've made it. I agree. Here's the thing, like this happens all the time. This is not just a BL phenomenon. There are a bunch of versions of Antique Bakery or Boys Over Flowers or in the European Union, 
scam. Like how many fucking versions of that show exist now? God damn. There's nothing really wrong with adaptations to other cultures. I think sometimes you get good stuff. Like last year, there were two live action adaptations of Love Stage, which was a manga and then an anime. Now has two live actions. People hated the Japanese live action of it, but they liked the Thai live action version of it. I think it's okay. I don't think Why Are You Korea was good, but I don't think Why Are You is good. So I don't think that's Korea's fault. I think the story just does not work for me. As of this recording, a few episodes into Cherry Magic Thailand, I think it's a very good adaptation. I think the core dynamics that the original story is exploring are intact in the Thai version. And I'm having a really good time with it. We will see about Keita Hatsukoi. I will not comment on that further at this time. (laughs) He says with a knife in his hand. (laughs) He's got two knives, I think. One in each. I think Nini nailed it, though, that like what you want to see in a good adaptation is that the new production who's taking it are kind of taking the core elements of the story, but then making it their own. That is what I was really, really happy to see in Cherry Magic Thailand, that they have managed to take this very Japanese story and really adapt it to a Thai style that keeps the core themes intact, that keeps the core character dynamics intact, but that deepens them in a way that is more aligned with Thai culture. I think they've done a really good job of that so far, three episodes in. And it's made me a little more open to and excited for some of the upcoming adaptations. Jenny, did you have anything to say on adaptations? Theme and variations is a thing that I've always loved in music. I like to hear or see material that's recognizable, but adapted into a different style. So philosophically, I love it. And I'm excited to see it as for the individual shows and their execution. We'll just have to see. We had a conversation a couple of months ago with some other friends about potential adaptations from other countries. And legitimately, I still stand by this. If anyone should take a crack at an I Told Sunset About You adaptation, it should be a well-funded, experienced team from the Philippines. Because I think the way Catholicism has embedded itself into their culture is well-suited to the angst between Tay and Oeo. On the lighter side, I think during that same conversation, I made a joke, not joke, that I stand by at this point, that if anybody had to do a semantic error remake, I would like it to be Idol Factory from Thailand. I think that they could do a lot of interesting things with it. So yeah, those are vaguely our thoughts. We're generally (laughs) okay with adaptations. They will get shaded if they suck. They'll get praised if they're good. Paralex0889 writes, 2023 as a BL year was kind of a flop for me personally with some big exceptions. With the medium ever growing and more things getting greenlit and funded, I'm not hopeless per se, but just trying to work through my frustrations with Thailand and GMMTV at times. So what would y'all say are some of the biggest wins and losses of the BL industry of this year? 
Okay, this will be a fun one. We'll go around the table. Everybody pick a win. Everybody pick a loss. For me, the biggest winner of the year is Meme with Wedding Plan. Meme completely changed her whole shit. And maybe people didn't respond to that in the way that perhaps they could have or should have. But to me, that's a big win. And your biggest flop. Ooh. (sighs) Gotta be only friends, man. It's just gotta be. Shan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, biggest win of the year. You know what? I am giving it to I Feel You Linger in the Air because I think that that production has successfully demonstrated that there is quite an eager audience for period pieces in BL. I think that that show was wildly successful. Like it's not a perfect show, but so well received by the audience. It's been very awarded within the industry itself. And it's a beautiful show, even though there are fair critiques to be made of it. So I'm really excited that that was so successful this year because I'm hopeful that it will mean that we're going to get a lot more historical BLs. And that is something that I personally love. In terms of losses, there is no bigger flop this year than Only Friends. I'm just going to have to back Nini up on that one. (laughs) Jenny? Biggest win, Moonlight Chicken. Loved everything about that show. It's still number one in my heart. Possibly of all time. Mmm... I mean, I'm with you on Only Friends. As far as like full catastrophic flops, I'm going to say The Promise. That was just a terrible, terrible production. I still haven't watched that because you all hated it so much that I was like, you know what? I don't need to waste my life. Do not ever watch it. Do not ever watch it. I had a whole like coming to heart with turtles about that show. Where I was like, <laughs> just because you see a sad man does not mean the show is good. <laughs> I keep forgetting that that happened this year. I've blocked it out so thoroughly and completely. <laughs> oh God, that was horrible. It was so terrible. You're making a fantastic case. I have to say. <laughs> what about you, Ben? I really hate that I limited myself to one. <laughs> I know what Ben's one is going to be. Winner, Japanese BL. Loser, the fall of 2023 in Thailand. <laughs> That's a good loophole to get around the one. I think the big win for me, from an industry perspective, is probably La Pluie. Because it seems like from everything I watch from the activity around it, that the show seems to have been decently received in Thailand and all of the people involved are getting like various deals and interactions as a result. And I think it's really important that with so much consolidation that we've been noticing in Thai BO happening, that a small team funded by a tire manufacturer ended up having such a successful little show. and. It was a show that was particularly enjoyable for me to react to for 12 weeks, which is not something I can say for much of this year. I think the biggest loser this year was probably Ty BL Pulps, because the gap between what's really good and what is not is so much bigger now. And with the audience having so many more options, 
with Japan giving a shit about BL in a meaningful way, Korea producing a significant amount of more content, the bandwidth that the audience has for the sort of underfunded and projects from newer teams, it's just so much harder for the audience to give them a pass in the way we used to. Like we can like make it right because it was made in 2016, but it wouldn't pass muster now the way it was produced then. And we're seeing a lot of that this year for type BL in general, that the weakest shows will never be discussed because people aren't going to watch them because why would they when there's so much else that's worth watching? Next question. Seems like vampire and spooky BLs are going to be in next year. What would you guess is the next big BL trope wave? Genre, 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 genre. I mean, it's already happening. Speculative fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, mystery, action, stuff that has romance at its core, but is cross-genre with something else. Shan? I agree with Nini, and I'm really excited about it. We've kind of reached a point of fatigue with the basic college BLs. I watched a, a show from earlier this year, this week, like on a catch-up binge. And when I turned it on and realized it was a college engineering BL, I actually groaned out loud. <laughs> so like, I feel like we're getting to the point where it's the perfect time for the genre to expand, to get into some of these other subgenres, to kind of start changing up the story formulas and I'm really excited. I'm I'm excited to see all of it and kind of see what ends up really landing. Jenny? I'm with you both on genre. What I'm looking forward to is seeing genre get good because especially as we delve into fantasy and sci-fi concepts, we're going to do a lot of this is a shiny idea that we're going to execute kind of badly from a narrative point of view. We're certainly seeing that with the sign, which I do love deeply, but it's a mess story-wise. So what I'm looking forward to is seeing them play with genre a little bit and then learn how to do it better. If you're following like what ends up becoming like weirdly popular in the West, we're probably going to see like a pirate show if they go, wow, people really liked Our Flag Means Death because like all the vampire stuff, Feels like a reaction to interview with the vampire doing really well. So I don't know. I don't know what else is super popular that is relatively affordable to play with that's in the consciousness right now. Like I was not surprised to see BL going hard into horror. I actually think that the current slasher that Beyond Cloud is airing right now is a good choice for them considering how new their company is and the talent pool that they have available generally i'm with you guys like it's going to be genre blending the biggest thing for me that i'm kind of concerned about seeing is the fact that lovesick is getting a remake next year this is probably oh, i forgot about that the most worrisome sign for the genre because it means we're at decline we just finished a really good almost BL parody this week, and now we have a remake pseudo retrospective occurring. And like, it's the same thing happened with superheroes. Like, the year Logan and Deadpool 2 came out, 
for me, signaled the end of peak superheroes and decline from there. And so I'm a little bit worried about the genre if we're at that stage already. Lovesick Remake feels like a needle scratch. Like it feels like a complete departure from where the rest of the industry is going. So I'm not actually worried about it. It just feels like somebody with money really wants to do this nostalgia thing, but it doesn't feel like where the rest of the genre is headed. So it feels quite discordant. And I feel like the discordant feeling is why I'm not worried. Yeah, we don't need this remake. I love Lovesick, the original. I have no desire to see it remade in 2024. Last question from Paralex. Tainu is back working. Singto, Sorda, Yenwar too. Who are your welcome back Cotter winners of the year and who would you want to see more of? Inversely, who are your go-home Roger recipients? Alex, no, he wrong. wrong for welcome back Cotter and go-home Roger. I, mm, terrible. I love it. Welcome back, Cotter winner. Come on, people. Chris Perrawatt made a BL in 2023, and it was good. How does anybody beat that? <laughs> oh, who would I like to see more of? Bruce. I would like to see a lot more of Bruce. It was really good to see Bruce as shot in Step by Step this year. I really thoroughly enjoyed him, and I would like to see him a lot more. Go home, Roger. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like that's a little mean. Those little dreads of his are mean. <laughs> Who do I think is overworked and I would like them to have a nice rest? I think Nusuwaj needs a vacation. I think he does. I think he just needs a little break from all of this. And uh, maybe he can come back in 2025 after he's had that little break. And we'll see what's what. Jenny? Oof. I mean, Chris is the right answer for the welcome back. Incredible comeback. Mm. As much as I enjoyed My Dear Gangster Opa for its ridiculousness, I don't know that I need to see those two boys again. They can take a rest. And uh, to send some arrows into the GMTV stable. I'm not into Shimon and... Perth can go with him or stay. Perth is hit or miss for me. I could be done with those guys. I'm so sad. No. I'm anyway. sorry, Nini. No, do not apologize to her. They <laughs> owe us an apology for the last fucking year we've had. <laughs> Shan? So, as the resident conversation team, Babby... I am, of course, going to welcome back Off Gun with open arms and a warm heart, always. I'm really excited that they have a show airing now and a show coming next year. I think every time Off Gun make a show, people speculate that it's probably their last BL. And every time they're like, nope, we're back, bitches. And I'm so happy. I don't think we need this construct that BL is only for 20-somethings, and once actors hit 30, they have to stop making it. BL is a young man's game. Right? I reject it. I reject (laughs) that. I send it back. I am so happy that some of our OGs who are in their 30s now are sticking around and continuing to make these shows, and I hope that they keep going. In terms of who can go home, (laughs) I agree with Ginny's picks. And I think, like, in general... 
some of these branded pairs are just not working the way that they want them to be. And I would love to see a little bit of a bust up happening there. And I'm going to just say something controversial. I want them to bust up Force and Book. Because listen, what Ben said earlier about Force doing his strongest OnlyFriends scene work when he was not in a scene with Book is true. He had better chemistry and more interesting dynamics with other characters in that show when he was allowed to play off of them. I want to see them mix it up. I want to see them get away from this kind of platonic friend romance dynamic that they've been doing. And I want to see what they can do with other people. Welcome back, Cotter. Has to go to Nui for me. Because you know what? I did not like that man in the past. He was one of my least favorite GMMTV boys. Like for Chris, we had like beef that may or may not have been valid with him. But like for Nui, we didn't have like reasonable beef with him. I just did not like that man. But I have actually enjoyed his outings this year. I enjoyed him as Alex in The Warp Effect. And I'm really enjoying him right now as Achi in Cherry Magic. So he gets welcome back, Cotter. As for Go Home, Roger, it's going to Perth. Because like Roger, he was always at their fucking house. Perth was on our screens all fucking year, and it was not good. Not once. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like, he was bad and never let me go. He was insufferable and double savage. And he was annoying and kind of offensive in Dangerous Romance. I'm over him. And I never expected to say that. Go home, Roger. It's a bad run. Bad run for Perth. It's okay, baby. I still love you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, personally, I still like him. Like, I followed his journey. I know a lot of what he's been through. But the way they have decided to utilize him at GMMTV is truly just not working for me. And I really want them to re-examine it. Like, you had some interesting thoughts about how he's a better follow than a lead earlier Nini that I think would probably help him a lot it's okay baby I still love you I see your worth I see what you're capable of I know you can do it you just need to pick the right projects she says (laughs) after three of them god damn hush Hush. Hush. more chances for her (laughs) give him chances till the end of time it's okay don't listen to these people We have one final listener comment to share. So this is from a listener named Catherine, who shared some lovely comments, some stories and compliments, and ended with, y'all's podcast has been a wonderful companion in viewing, understanding, and appreciating all these shows. I'm still too shy to move beyond lurking on Tumblr, so I wanted to offer up these thoughts to add to the conversation a bit. I'm going to say, lurkers, we love you. But we would love it more if you joined us directly in the conversation. Everybody here was a lurker at one point. We get it. Sometimes you feel like you don't have anything to say. That's not true. Sometimes you feel like other people are more interesting. That's not true. Sometimes you just don't know if you want to keep up with things like that. Fair enough. But what I'm saying to you is if you have something to say, say it. 
I encourage all lurkers to just once, just make one post in a tag and see what happens. That's all I ask. I will echo Nini's sentiment. Fandom is a collaborative experience. It is not a purely consumptive one. Nothing that you enjoy in fandom is made easily. Organized posts, like Shan's posts on the La Ploie Roundup, that's a lot of effort to read a lot of stuff and organize it for people to see it as an achievement of something they wrote. Writing meta is not easy. Making gifts is not easy. All the things you enjoy in fandom spaces are offerings of love from the viewers to other fans and the creators themselves. Unlike other platforms like Twitter or TikTok, virality is not really something you benefit from on Tumblr. So going viral on Tumblr is mostly funny and annoying more than it is like a sign of success. So enjoy the anonymity of Tumblr and just post your silly little thoughts about shows. You'd be surprised the friends you make as a result. Here, here. That's going to wrap up what's in our inbox for this year. We wanted to thank you guys so much for your questions and comments. We always, always, always love when our listeners interact with us. And we would love you all to do it a whole lot more in 2024. So please keep on writing us. We really appreciate it. On to our year in review. What is your 2023 headline? My headline is going to be the year I watched too much BL for me. (laughs) I watched maybe 15 to 20 productions last year. This year I watched multiples of that. (laughs) I think that I have watched maybe 60 or 70 productions this year. That is a lot. That is a big jump for me in terms of how much time I am spending. But it's because to me, this year sort of gave us an embarrassment of riches. There have been more good shows that I could personally keep up with. I enjoyed certain things live, certain experiences sort of along with people. And then there are certain things that I watched in binges in the dark of night and then came back to discuss them with some fully formed ideas. Just generally, I watched so much more this year and it might have been a little bit too much for me. So we'll see. I think going forward for me, it's going to be a little bit of a scale back, but we'll see what happens. Let's go to Sean. Sean, what's your headline for this year? I think for me... 2023 is the year of extreme highs and extreme lows in BL. I had some of my all-time favorite shows air this year that like really got me so excited that I was so happy to be discussing every week that I like actually dedicated tons of my actual real life time to because I was just so invested in seeing them be successful and in wanting to share them with other people. And then I had some shows that made me actually angry (laughs) and like so upset at the way that they turned out. And, you know, I think I've kind of been going back and forth on that seesaw all year. And, you know, it makes for an interesting experience. Like, I think 
if you care about something, if you're emotionally invested in it, like these are the kinds of emotions that are going to be provoked in you, right? And I am someone who cares about the things that I choose to engage with and spend my time on. So maybe not a surprising arc for my year, but one that ultimately I think was a very positive experience despite some of the letdowns. Jenny? I already said it. It's the year I fell in love with Japanese BL. I watched so much and I'm now fully on board for pretty much whatever Japanese productions come down the pike. I'm at least ready to give them a first look. My headline for the year is this is the year that BO fell into the traditional TV seasonal flow. We got BL so sporadically for so long that you didn't really think about when BL was being released and how that plays out with traditional TV network schedules. And you felt it this year. BL was strongest in the winter because that's when people have time to watch TV. That's how it is in the West a lot, at least. And BL is weak in the summer because that's when people are doing other shit. I had to really reflect on that because I was getting mad at BL (laughs) in the fall. But that's how it is. That's just how that time of year for shows is. And I think that's the part that surprised me the most. Like I thought the strength of winter 22 into 23 was going to be a sign for the full year. It was not. Because BL is getting really good again. And look what time of year it is again. So that's probably the most interesting thing for me this year. We want to award our best boy and best girl of the year. These awards are named after the best boys and best girls in BL of all time. So the best boy award is the Ben. Oh, it goes to Namgoon from Light on Me. He is the prototypical best boy. So who is the Namgoon best boy for 2023? This is a very difficult decision for me because we had three really strong contenders. And because Mark already got an award named after him, one of his 6,000 characters this year does not get the award. This year's Namgoon Best Boy Award goes to Ming from I Feel You Linger in the Air. He deserves it. Our Best Girl Award, named after the original best girl, Yiwa, from Together With Me. The bestest of all the good girls. She is the bestest, the goodest, the everything. If you don't know who she is, you better ask somebody. Isn't it wild that Yiwa and Plurn Plang exist in the same show? <laughs> it's not wild. That is exactly why that happened. Because they had to counterbalance each they other. They really did. They were like, oh shit, we better put in a good girl because this Plurn Plang bitch. <laughs> the absolute <laughs> worst girl ever. <laughs> Jenny, have you watched Together With Me? No, someday I'm going to watch it and then I'll know what y'all are talking about. You will understand the bloodlust that comes out of all of it's us. It's incredible. Her. Every time she's mentioned the knives, everybody's hands spring knives <laughs> from every finger. What gets Jenny about it is it's different kinds of people. Like Plurn Plane gets mentioned and like the nicest people in Tumblr are like, I'll kill her as soon as Literally I Literally everyone. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no defenders. There's no, no, no. It's every single person. It's very funny. The Yiwa 
Best Girl Award for 2023 goes to Ari from The Eighth Sense. Well deserved. Well deserved. Very. Quick shout out for my man Junpyo. You were in strong contention. Eight Sense also had a good dichotomy there with like some of the best friends and some of the worst friends you've ever seen depicted. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's the balance. Yeah. <laughs> so these are not plates, but there's some kind of award involved here. We're sending them mugs. Best boy. Best girl. <laughs> yes, mugs. I like that. I like that. I'm going to start with Ben on this one because you need to make a resolution. I won't. What are your 2024 New Year's QL resolutions? I will watch a hundred shows next year. (laughs) 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 No more lying to myself or my wall. I will never scale back. I will only get stronger. Well, <laughs> this year I think I only finished like seventy-five shows. Let's just go all the way. We'll finish a hundred next year. <laughs> a sincere resolution? I don't know. I think my biggest resolution is probably to just back off shows when I'm getting aggravated with them a lot sooner than I did because. I pissed myself off way too much trying to see Dangerous Romance to the end just to be mad at it. I'm not doing that again. Jenny, what about you? What is your QL resolution? Well, I have a couple specific shows that I have pledged to watch that I've been promising friends for years or months that I would watch. But overall, I think it's to post more and post more consistently on Tumblr. Sometimes I got really into it and sometimes I would kind of go months without writing and I would like to be more consistent about sharing thoughts even if I don't have an entire essay's worth because I do enjoy being part of that conversation. Sean? I think I'm making a resolution similar to Ben's around just kind of like reclaiming my time. There are so, so many shows now and nobody can watch them all. And I am trying to be more willing to just call it when a show is not working for me. And, you know, because I do post so much on Tumblr and I'm pretty consistent about it. Like at a certain point, if I'm just not enjoying a show and I'm getting nothing out of it, I don't want to be the person posting every week to be like, your show sucks. (laughs) Like nobody needs that. Nobody wants it. So I think I just want to be more aware of when. I'm really getting no joy out of a show and then just cutting it off and not feeling bad about do not finishing it. I'm going to do that more this year. Let's see. What is my QL resolution? I'm going to stop picking on new so watch. What? <laughs> I never watch another new so watch show. <laughs> this is like Ben saying he's going to quit new so watch. Yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> no, because I feel like at this point, I'm going to put him on my second shut-in list. I have said all the things and there isn't anything new to say. So at this point, I don't think it's even entertaining anymore. I just feel like I want to give New Sawaj a break. I won't. I'll be watching that show. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. Like, Loki, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch that 
silly too many couples college BL that he's doing with Pond and Pooin and all the rest of them. I am going to watch it, but I am not going to pick on him about it. Okay, good. Cause a lot of our faves had a pretty rough year. Let's be real. <laughs> Listen, that's probably one of the stories of this year as well. Like everybody is just batting average low. Our faves, our directors, they weren't doing so hot this year. Like people did anything between two and four shows this year and got everything between zero and one hits. You're doing too much. That's the problem. Like you've got T Bundit out here making like what three shows simultaneously, literally. Like he made four shows this simultaneously. year. Simultaneously. Of course they're not gonna be good, most of them. Your focus is far too split. In some ways, the high output in TyBL is a blessing. And in some ways, it's really a curse for these individual productions because they're just not getting the care that they need. I need TyBL to make their resolution to be the year of the editor. <laughs> please, please hire an editor, for the love of God. Just a storyboard. Start with a storyboard. I promise you, you will enjoy what happens if you start with a storyboard. Like We've been having this conversation a lot lately, but... Episodic television has to have really good starting and end points to keep the audience going from week to week. If you're going to be telling a 12-part story, the 12 parts have to have a really good internal arc that connects to each other. This reminds me of one of my favorite moments of just collective catharsis on Tumblr this year, which was right after Step by Step finished airing, D-Hub House put out an advertisement <laughs> for an editor. <laughs> That was so funny, but also like weirdly embarrassing at the same time for everyone involved. Before we move on to 2024, let's take one last look back at 2023 with a term that came up towards the end of the year that we have been thoroughly enjoying amongst ourselves. What was your favorite business gay performance of the Ooh, year? BGP! BGP! <laughs> Who really put their foot in it? Who was your favorite business gay performance of the year? Should we explain what BGP is? <laughs> I guess we should. Nobody has watched Bump Up Business except me and Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so this term, business gay performance, or as we like to abbreviate it, BGP, comes from a Korean BL called Bump Up Business, which actually was BGP in and of itself because it was a BL based on idols. They decide to come up with what they call a business gay performance plan to increase their reach, get more attention on them. The characters in the show were played by real life idols from the K-pop band only one of, which are also very prolific in their real life BGP. It was meta on meta on meta, this show. In any case, what it refers to is an intentional performance of romance between two people of the same sex in order to sell whatever it is that they're doing, a business gay performance. And we just found this term so fucking useful for discussions of the BL industry and the branded pairs that tend to spring up, particularly in Thai BL. And so we will be using it going forward. Business gay performance, BGP. Has our business gay performance plan ended before it began? <laughs> <laughs> you really should watch Bump Up Business too. I'm just going to 
going to make a plug for it. It is so fucking funny for anyone who's familiar with me. Legit, Shan and I are sending each other stupid texts in the middle of the day reacting to this show because literally every line was delivered so earnestly and was absolutely insane. (laughs) Incredible nonsense. Not a good show. You should watch it anyway. (laughs) Okay, favorite BGP of the year. Jenny, do you have one that comes to mind right away? I know you do. I do. I'm giving it not to a couple, but to a person, and that is Jung Archen. I don't know if y'all know. He and Dunk do lots and lots of great BGP, but he is up in everybody's replies on Twitter and Instagram. All the other GMMTV boys talking about how hot they are, flirting casually. It's incredible work. I love to see it. Jung admits that he reads fic. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> he said he reads Jung Dung fic, and he has favorites. Oh, God. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I need to immediately forget it. I can't have that as part of my reality. <laughs> <laughs> he can do what he wants, but I need to not know that. I'm with you. Jung is an excellent choice for BGP because that man (laughs) understands the work. Shan, do you have a selection for favorite BGP of the year? I would like to shout out Dao and Offroad from Love in Translation. They have like a long established friendship. They have a clear foundational relationship to base their publicity work off of. And they're like tasteful about their BGP. They're not out here trying to do sly jokes, trying to imply that they're really fucking in real life or anything like that. They're just out there kind of living their lives as friends in the public sphere, posting stuff frequently enough to keep the fans happy, but never taking it too far. And for me, that's what I love to see in BGP. I love to see a bond between colleagues that clearly have a friendship and that are keeping it on the right side of the line in terms of not encouraging Delulu fans to take things over the line. And I think that they've found a really good balance with that. And I'm really excited to see if they do another project. I did enjoy very recently. Dao had a live he did, I believe on Twitch, where he shited fans very directly for harassing one of his female friends because he went out with some friends. Mm-hmm. And people found her socials and harassed her. Because he was hanging out with her instead of off-road. And he yeah. was like, y'all need to cut this stuff out or we will stop working. Yeah, I love that. They hold their boundaries. They're very good at their jobs. They're very professional. They're willing to share some of their friendship with fans, but they're going to hold their boundaries and I respect it. I like the way that they're doing it. Oh, it's Yen and War. Ooh. There's a lot of BGP I loved this year, girls and boys and other friends. But let me tell you, hiring JoJo to make a movie trailer for a concert. And I'm still thinking about the movie that doesn't exist. (laughs) Also, we learned that these two boys have personalized microphones that are color coded. Insane. Next level BGP. I'm so fond of the two of them. I think they also have a really good handle on BGP and are very good about their fan boundaries too. So that's my favorite of the year. But since we are talking about BGP, I do think that I want to shout out Tainu and Offgun while we're here. Mm, The OGs. They're so good. Parallax0889 
sent us some questions earlier and has been to quite a few fan events. And I've gotten to get some of his reactions to meeting them personally over a couple of different fan events. And the maturity of their BGP and the way they engage with fans has been really impressive, particularly having watched these guys figure it out in real time in front of fans. And they have not always had the best experience with fans respecting their boundaries or maybe giving way too much BGP and it blowing up in their faces. I really want to applaud the way that they have matured into it and really set a good example for a lot of people coming behind them to follow. I think Tainu and Afghan deserve shout outs for pioneering effective BGP. Well, I actually have a winner and a runner up. Okay, go for it. <laughs> the runner up is actually going to be Louis Chang and Nat Chen from Kisiki, Dare to Me. I have enjoyed what I have seen of their BGP. They are doing it in the way that only the Taiwanese boys have ever done BGP. It's a very different style of BGP than the Thai style. And I think that they do it incredibly effectively. I get a kick out of it. I have fun. And I think that they're being, in their own way, quite real with the fans because they talk about the experience of acting and they're quite open about the way that certain things happen and the way that you have to delve into character in a certain way and what that means. It could skirt up to the line of becoming a little too much, which has happened in Taiwan before, but they seem to be in a comfortable and safe space with it. So I quite enjoy their BGP. But in terms of a winner, the absolute most unhinged, cracked out BGP of 2023, and I have been thoroughly enjoying what I have seen of it, has been the Playboy cast unhinged, cracked out, over the top. Nobody could possibly buy this as real. Absolutely not. And they are having clearly so much fun with it. They are young and hot and enjoying being young and hot everywhere. And I personally love it. I love it. I feel like in that category, we should give a shout out to Billy and Babe from The Sign and that TikTok video they made last week. <laughs> They are Thank doing you. some really hoping, good BGP. Someone needs to say it. We cannot let it go unacknowledged. Yep. There's so much BGP that's actually really good, though. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I am thoroughly enjoying Billy and Babe's BGP. It's going to go into next year, and I'm very excited about that. Babe is my new bias, so we can talk about Babe longer if you want. <laughs> I'll talk about Babe with you all day. <laughs> That boy is so beautiful. It's so oh. ridiculous. Babe is super beautiful, and then he'll move, and you'll be like, ah! <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> it's like, I forgot you were real for a second. <laughs> Let's move very quickly into 2024. Let's do like a quick hit. So each of you, one thing you're watching now and one thing that has piqued your interest for 2024. 
I'm only allowed to talk about one thing I'm watching now. All right. I'm going to cheat and I'm going to talk about the one, two, three punch of my weekends right now where I get to watch Last Twilight and Cherry Magic Thailand and Cooking Crush because that's just really been a fucking delight for me. And I'm just so excited to get to end the year this way. Really excited to see how the shows go. I hope they hold up. Things that have piqued my interest for next year. I am so ridiculously excited for Wandy Good Day. If that show is not good, I'm going to fucking cry. I am not even kidding. I love Tori. There it is. And I am so excited to see a fighter BL. I want to see this Muay Thai. I want to see these big masculine dudes fucking fighting each other. I want to see Tor with his shirt off every single episode looking hot. I cannot wait. And if it's bad, I'm going to be so sad. Please do not let me down, Wandy. Good day. Please. I'm right there with you. Yep. Jenny? Ooh, let's see. Currently watching, I mentioned it, I am loving the sign. It is a hot mess of execution in terms of plot structure, but Billy and Babe are delivering the chemistry all the time. I've been a big fan of Billy since Secret Crush on You. I am perfectly happy to sit in the madness of sometimes we're doing a cop show and sometimes we're doing a fantasy and sometimes we're trying to mix them in ways that don't work but it's always really pretty and intense and I like it so I'm enjoying that and I'm strapped in for the ride wherever it takes us over the next several weeks looking forward to next year it's gotta be spare me your mercy with Tor and Jailer, who have not yet done BL, doing a salmon story. I loved Tor so much in Midnight Museum and cannot wait to see him do a full BL. Salmon always does great plots. The romance and the chemistry is hit or miss, but I'm very excited for this project. Having been made to watch Great Men Academy, Jailer can do BL. I'm ready for it. I'm ready to receive it. I forgot about that show, Jenny. Thank you for reminding me. That's a good one. I'm never not thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Nene? (laughs) Something I'm watching now. I'm also watching and enjoying The Sign, but I'm going to have to do a plug for Last Twilight. It is intense emotionally. And that's where I like to sit, particularly at the end of the year. So I am having a great time. I did not think I would be having a great time. I was very nervous going into the show because of Jimmy. I didn't know that Jimmy was going to have the chops to carry the storyline that he has to carry in the show as Mock. But so far, I am feeling good about it. I'm enjoying watching the story unfold. Mark Packin is there. That's always a win. And Namtan is crushing it and crushing Jenny's heart every week. She's <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> it's such a beautiful piece of work like you have come to expect from Alf. And that's one thing that I'm watching now. 2024, there's so much I'm actually looking forward to. I'm going to pick two things. I'm sorry. I can't choose between these two. The first one is Peaceful Property for Sale. I don't know if that's going to be a BL or not, but it's Tay, it's New, it's Jan, and it's Mook. And I am looking forward to it like you would not believe. It's like a ghost hunter story. I'm obsessed. It looks like goofy, spooky fun. Yeah. It looks fantastic. I am so ready to watch it. 
looking forward to that. And then the other thing that I'm looking forward to is Huang de Sol is coming back. <laughs> Huang de Sol is coming back with Uncovering the Curse of Taekwondo. I know nothing about it, but I will be seated. Ben, how about you? Right now, I'm watching Goblin. Is that a BL? Hell yeah! <laughs> Finally! Gong Yu and Lee Dong Wook will not say that it's not a BL if you ask. It changed them about the culture it. forever. <laughs> I will say that it is very good, but I will not forgive Shan for making me watch this tragic ass show. On the BL front, we finished. I became the main role of a BL drama last night, and unfortunately for Nini, the fight over the Vibe Awards for 2024 has already begun. (laughs) Ben has already crowned his 2024 best show. Good luck to everyone else. Let me tell you, that show in three 40-ish minute episodes was one of the cleanest best paced and well executed projects I have ever seen from this genre. Mm -hmm. I need the rest of you to take notes and have a sip babies because God damn that show was almost perfect. And Holy shit. Am I going to be so annoying for the next couple of months? as a bunch of these shows stumble their way through their back half. It was excellent. It's a show within a show within a show sort of situation. Because you got the two leads are an actor and an idol who are going to be working together on a BL drama. And there's a BL happening between them two. It's excellent. I love watching actors play actors. And it was really cool seeing a good actor play a good actor with problems. Oh, it's so fucking good. This was such an excellent year to be a Japanese BL fan. Word. <laughs> Holy shit. I had to give for so long. And now you get to receive, Bestie. If you have not yet subscribed to Gaga, go subscribe to Gaga. Because they are by gays and for gays. And if you sign up, tell them that their insane social media manager on Twitter is the reason you signed up. Because I am still thinking about Tell the World the Bitches Back when Park Salem was released from military service. That person deserves a raise, <laughs> a promotion. <laughs> oh, they're so good at their job. Incredible work. What am I looking forward to in the future? I am always the worst person to answer for this because there is so much shit happening in front of us right now. I can't look over the fucking horizon because a bunch of the shit that I want to watch never gets made. There's a project coming up with MBS that I believe is a friends to lovers story that I am genuinely excited about because I think it is about adults who live near each other. I think the concept when they described it was similar to VIP only. And I'm hoping that Japan does a better job with that because VIP only is not doing a great job. I'm actually genuinely looking forward to the MAME Fort and Pete show, where Pete is a writer dealing with writer's block, and then he goes to, like, a beach resort, meets Fort's character, and, like, fucks out his writer's block. That sounds right up her alley. 
Ben, are you saying you're not looking forward to the Boss Knoll show coming next year? Is that the weird daddy play one? <laughs> Is that the one that we got because Noel was unhinged in that fucking special? Yeah, no. I'm not interested in that one. When that show is weird and uncomfortable, remember that you all snubbed Wedding Plan, and I don't want to hear fuck all from any of you. Also, I'm really looking forward to She Loves to Cook and She Loves to Eat coming back. What Did You Eat Yesterday has finished and will likely go on at least a two to three year hiatus. And I'm really excited that we're going to get a good solid 20, 15 minute episodes out of She Loves to Cook, She Loves to Eat. I feel like we left them kind of in a weird spot and i'd like to feel complete this time when we finish with them definitely concur about she loves to cook and she loves to eat overall i think the headline story on this year has been not enough lesbians yeah i'm not shouting out the show that didn't show up because (laughs) we can talk about it when it arrives (laughs) i agree but just generally i feel like there was gl this year but there wasn't very much of it, and what there was didn't do much. It's coming. I'm a little bit concerned, because I feel like last year we had a really good outing from Korean lesbian teams, and I feel like they all went kind of quiet this year, and I'm a little worried about them. Well, the Thai teams have only just started picking it up, and we know that Korea likes to look at Thailand being successful and go, oh shit, time to get back <laughs> in the game. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for something good. We've got a couple of things coming early in the year. Apparently, Reverse for You is finally coming out. So we'll see how that goes. We've got the show which shall not be named because we don't know what version of Juan Canita is going to show up yet. So we're not saying the thing until it arrives, as Ben says. We dare not speak its name. We dare not speak its name, but just know that we'll be looking forward to it. Namtan and Film. Namtan in film, Pluto, that's coming out. I won't acknowledge it because we're still waiting on the last one. <laughs> we will talk about it when it arrives. We did also just get news of a new historical GL that is apparently in the works, starring the actress who played May in I Feel You Linger. Yes. That must be brand new information because I hadn't it's seen that one. It's brand new information. It's called The Hidden Moon, and we've only seen a promotional image, but I was very excited by the promotional image. Yep. Wait, isn't The Hidden Moon the BL vampire project? Wait, are they in the vampire BL? Now we have to go do some research. Oh pause. <laughs> <laughs> because of the clip show, y'all now know that we pause and do yeah. research. <laughs> this isn't giving vampire BL vibes at all. I think it's a separate show with the same name, but I would like to see a vampire BL that also has a GL pairing. There is a BL coming up called The Hidden Moon, which is a vampire project by all reports. The promo poster font matches what's on MDL as potentially the vampire one you're talking about. (gasps) So I don't know. Incredible. It might be both. It's a historical vampire BL with a GL side pairing? What's going on? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> it's written by the same original <laughs> author from I Feel You Linger in the Air. Violet Rain, yes. See, that's what I thought. Okay. It, looks like, it looks like it's speaking to I Feel You Linger. Fascinating. Well, I guess we'll learn more. I'm not complaining, but also, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's the lesbians we've heard about coming up. 
looking forward to some of that stuff and more besides because there has been a drought people there has been a drought can we call it a drought when we've never eaten before we had more before we did i feel like this year there wasn't anything there's lesbian sodas which is charmingly bad (laughs) like it's just everybody's trying so hard they're doing their best they're all brand new babies I love that you call it lesbian sodas. It time. is. Watch it. It's lesbian sodas. There was that Filipino one that nobody could watch because it was geolocked. That was so sad. There are goddamn volleyball lesbians. Annoying <laughs> <laughs> volleyball lesbians and they won't let us have it. I'm shaking with rage. Fucking rude. <laughs> I was literally watching volleyball yesterday. I feel like you're usually watching volleyball. Oh my god. <laughs> like, where are you finding all this volleyball to watch? YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> they upload it all to YouTube. I think it's just rude that I do not have a sports GL in front of me. That is rude. I just think that that's disrespectful. You're right, and you should say it. I watched 2521, and I was upset by the fact that that was not a GL. So the fact that that exists... And it's not a GL. And nobody has taken up that mantle. Infuriating. It is upsetting. It's disrespectful. See, Shane, you're joking. Fucking Turkey and Serbia are playing right now. Oh my god. Okay, we're wrapping this up. (laughs) (laughs) So that is going to wrap us up on season five. Oh my gosh, five seasons, a whole year of the conversation. Yay. Oh my god, it's been a journey. How many episodes did we do? This episode, I believe, is episode, let me actually go to the spreadsheet that you shaded. Episode 38. Oh my god, so much. I know it's a lot. We have really enjoyed the amount of time we spent together with our other friends who hung out with us on the show. I'm so glad that Jenny and Shan joined the team because we did need help. It's been fun. And I'm really glad that people seem to respond to what we're doing here. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you all for the encouragement because it does help. It really does help when I am up at night editing, desperately trying to make deadlines. It does help to know that y'all really want to listen to us. So thank you all so much for um, the conversation, for sticking with us for a year, and here's to seeing you next year. And with that, we out. Say bye to the people, everybody. Bye, people. Peace.